Welcome back to Film Fight Club. Once again, Glenn is not here. This it is, is I. It is us. That yes. means I can be on the show. Yay! Yes, yeah. Glenn is now replaced by a woman uh, on the panel. Yes, You need female representation on the show. We do. <laughs> so uh, we've, we, it took Glenn's unexpected departure from Film Fight Club to make that long-held dream a reality. Yes, let's call it unexpected. But Dude Club has been disbanded. Uh, no, Glenn will eventually be back. But until then, this is Chris Evans and... Berat Nehru. And we're joined once again by... Chanel Tarabay. So this week, we'll be talking about two more films. One which should have been a big Oscar contender and was mostly snubbed. And one that was an Oscar hopeful that was snubbed completely. Um, <laughs> was, was the other one an Oscar hopeful? In some, I ever? think the studio the, that released it wanted it to I be. Think so, oh. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Clearly, by releasing it in December, it's got Natalie Portman in it. It's got big, um, co- amazing costumes, productions, etc. hoping to be that indie film that slips in. I think wow. so. They miscalculated that quite spectacularly. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. The films are If Beale Street Could Talk and Vox Lux. We'll carry on with this Vox Lux discussion that seems to be sneaking its way into the intro later in the show. But but first... We should give Beale Street Could Talk its credit because the Oscars didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. If Beale Street Could Talk is Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight, and it's an adaptation of a 1974 James Baldwin novel. The title is referring to the street that James Baldwin's father grew up on, and it's essentially a reference to all of the little stories within the black community. The film's about a black couple who are kept apart by the forces of systemic racism, essentially. Well, they're not even really kept apart, but they're stopped from living, I would say. That's right. And it's interesting you can contrast it with Green Book, the picture winner, and see how Beale Street looks at racism in a very nuanced and systemic way, whereas Green Book kind of builds up this fantasy world where racism is something that exists in the periphery and in people's minds, which can be addressed by talking. Well, Whereas, you know, in Beale Street, it's a very real thing. If Beale Street Could Talk looks at the way that racism is embedded in American society on several levels, and it's also about how the system is stacked against you. The film shows how one thing leads to another to result in lack of opportunities for black people and inability to crawl out of the position they're in. Because at every level, there's the expectation of crime or the desire to stop them from succeeding by the white powers that be. I mean, one of the main things that goes against and also for Beale Street, whichever way you look at it, is that it's so unstated. I mean, for a movie that is talking about like an issue-based film, it never goes on the nose. Like the racism is part and fabric of the world that these people live in. It's not something that is, you know, hammered on the nose or it's not made into a point which is what Green Book does. Even Black Landsman well, does it to an extent, thing, to be honest. I think there is still actually quite a lot of anger and force in If Beale Street Could Talk. It's yeah. just that the film is meant to be about real people living real lives and the strong theme comes through of doing what you can and living anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think what Varad is trying to point to is that it's not about a racist event per se, as opposed to the uh, prevalence of racism throughout the lives that black people in America were living in from one instance of not being able to find an apartment for years and years and years because they were black to things that happened later in the film as well that were potentially bigger events. 
And and it sort of contextualizes how racism is a lived experience because often people who don't experience racism point to a particular act or a thing they say or like, you know, it's not something, a thing you do. It's basically years and years, like Chanel said, and it becomes part and fabric of how you actually ingrain yourself and live up to that, even in your own systemic experience, because you don't nothing else. I think in starting off this conversation by talking about this film directly in relation to racism, and don't get me wrong, that it is a film about racism very, very strongly and in very intelligent ways. We're kind of maybe selling the film a little bit short because it's a beautiful yeah. film about characters. It's not yeah. just a lecture. It yeah. doesn't go at it with the approach of I am going, like Crash, you know, is a film. Ab- ab- <laughs> it's Crash is a, is a stupid film. That makes offensive and stupid points. Not the Sorry, but you know, it goes. It yeah. sets out with the ambition of we are going to make a film about racism. If Beale Street could talk, is is a beautiful film about people and yeah. it's about love. And and I think that's what I was trying to. Sorry if that didn't come through, and which is why I said when he's talking about racism, it's not making it into a point. Well, it does it. It it is embedded into the characters' lives and it, the trajectory of the story in a realistic it, way that reflects the way their lives are lived. It shows how it shapes them and it shapes yeah. their relationship. That's right. Yeah. It's the major theme of the film, but it's not just there in a way to make score cheap points. And or especially, the I mean, Baldwin, and this has been you know an accusation that's been led on, like how can Baldwin's books ever be turned into movies because they're basically unadaptable but in this sense Barry Jenkins kissed command over the source material is so strong I think the way that he's chosen to adapt it is interesting because yes, yeah. it's really I have not read the book but I got the sense that huge chunks have been left out in order to yeah. adapt it and that instead of trying to just condense down the book Barry Jenkins has chosen sections of it that he thinks would be effective as cinema yes and moved between them and for the most part I think this approach works really well but to some extent I, I could feel the absence of certain characters that are introduced and they're yeah. never really seen from again. Like that, you see characters who I suspect in the book are being set up to be a major presence in the story because in the one or two scenes they have, they set up really intriguing sides of their characters and then suddenly they're never seen again. And I think that Jenkins is smart enough in the way he's chosen to adapt it that for the most part, that didn't bother me too much. But I definitely felt it at the end that in some ways, it's a little bit unsatisfying. The main narrative, though, the, the main through line is very, very satisfyingly depicted. What do you guys think? I mentioned it last week that this came out of Valentine's Day. For, for a film that is dealing with quite bleak themes, it's still somehow incredibly mushy and uplifting. I wouldn't call end. it mushy, but, but it's like, extremely romantic. It, it, was, yeah. it was also some, somewhat hopeful in this yeah, hopeless definitely. world. Because a lot yeah. of times when, when love, we talk about the these sort of the love is this heavy, strong despite, yeah. the, despite oppression... Yeah. is what provides hope yeah. and it gives the characters their strength. Which I think uh, makes this movie stand out because a lot of the movies that are coming out in this kind of oppressive environment where the art is being oppressed from all corners and I feel like art needs to be political at this point in time where a lot of filmmakers are making movies and they're basically coming to the conclusion that there is no hope. Yeah. So in that time, I think this, this movie really stands out I, really because of that reason, because it's coming to the opposite conclusion and actually is giving the, you... And that we agree. have to hold on to hope. Yeah. And I was quite impressed with the skill in terms of how he pulled that off in the tone of the movie, because it doesn't necessarily end happily either. No. But, but it still but manages to be hopeful. to it, yeah. yeah. I think um, the direction in every way is phenomenal. I think this is a clear leap forward from Moonlight. I think, yeah, the control of tone... And the this shifting, is, yeah, 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 way the better movie than the Moonlight, shifting yeah. between yeah. tragic, comedic, romantic, tense, atmospheric yeah. moments is, is incredible. He marshals together all the, the forces of film. Really, it's a yeah. really expressionistic style. I think he's taking after 
sort of Wong Kar Wai. Even cinematography, I, I think, you know. Cinematography was incredible. Beautiful. But not Which just that. surprising in terms of like, you the, know. the way that the 1970s is recreated in yep. this film in terms of the production design production. and the costumes is phenomenal. It felt real. This could have taken a lot of the technical awards, which I think was, yeah, was yeah. short-changed. Yeah. Yeah, Black Panther was not that ambitious in what it was doing. No, 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 yeah. In the budget that this movie has, this movie really, really did set up a world which you could believe in. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. Uh, every year there's a movie that the Oscars neglect, and sadly this year it was, it was this one. It was if Bill Street could talk. <laughs> um, I think also it should have won the award for Best Original Score. We started out playing a theme from the film at the opening of this episode, and it's such beautiful music. It you know, And it's used really well. You can hear even in the music that sort of spirit of, of hope, yep. despite it kind of a somber undertones Mm -hmm. going back to the design I think it speaks to one of the best things about this film which is how lived in it is Mm -hmm. it feels real like it feels like you're looking at real people's homes this extends to the characterization and the way the, the writing is made even the choice to leave out large sections of the book yeah creates to some extent this feeling that there's life happening at the margins of the screen. A moment that sticks with me is when we cut to the fathers of the two central characters who are going about their business, which is being completely un- untouched upon. Yeah. yeah. But there's this incredible other story going on, which I, I guess goes back to that title of What If Beale Street Could Talk. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's fascinating to think about that because, look, when we look at African-American representation on screen, it also has a very stereotypical Hollywoodized, you know, they're either shown as kind of black exploitation kind of element to it. I suddenly got to know that side of the, the hood, if I can say that, uh, in a much better way, in a much more nuanced way than otherwise I would have ever well, got to understand it. Well, this movie treats yeah. the characters really as people, exactly. not just as types. The scenes that um, show the family at home, there's a scene at the beginning of the movie that could totally be black exploitation trash with somebody less sensitive uh, than Barry Jenkins handling it. But it, as it is, it's a realistic depiction of ugly family dynamics. Yep. Yeah, This film is just incredibly genuine. And there's so much like there's so much going on in terms of the dialogue and uh, how characters interact mm. and at what point uh, they choose to come in and exit each other's lives. Yeah. Uh, as the audience, you really... If you're there and if you can take so much from the film, it allows you to actually not spoon feed things to Mm. you and allow you to actually experience it in a way that you want to. That's true. Props also in a film about racism for writing in some sympathetic white characters without making a white savior out of anyone. Yes. (laughs) Um, Um, And also writing in characters who suffer from the racism towards black people inadvertently in the uh, Puerto Rican character that's in the film. Yes, yes. I think that's that's what it is. I mean, when it's we when very we, multi-layered. Yeah. When we talk about like writing real characters, I think this film is not trying to take any boxes, uh, and in doing that, it just makes you realize that oh my god! I mean, there's so much. It's not a template that it's trying to follow, and yet it gets so much right, which you always have complaints from main Hollywoodized kind of treatment of such issue-based films. It really does become a film that you can care about and not think of it as a political or issue-based film. That's right. I really like the focus on memory in the way that the film is structured. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. flashbacks and it shows, I think, how positive memories pull us through. And and once again, great editing. Yeah, beautiful editing. That's right. (laughs) The technical aspects were great. He's a very lyrical filmmaker. That side of him was just there a little bit in Moonlight, especially in the third story, but here Mm. it's taking full flight where there's these moments where just the colour and the camera movement and the music and the beauty of of the actors and their performances 
all come together in these kind of symphonic flights. It's interesting you mentioned Lyrical and Wong Kar Wai because now that I think about it, I think they share a similar trait where Wong Kar Wai would linger on for an extra second and an emotional beat. That's right. And not cut and stare prematurely. At, and enjoy staring yeah. at people's mm. faces as yes. they experience a and moment. I think Barry Jenkins has that very similar trait where he let the emotional moment sink in and not linger. actually rush yeah, to the beat. A, yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly it. It's about just being there and giving full voice to the power it's, of it, an emotion. It's literally like if Beale really Street feels could it. talk, these themes yes. are talking to you in this yeah. point. It, it's really good. Yeah. The, yeah, the way that he evokes nostalgia on screen I think is similar to the way that Wonka Wai works. What we're trying to say is this should have been a Best Picture nominee it's, at least. It's absolutely shocking. Best Picture, yeah. Best Director, best Acting. Actors, the actors were incredible. <laughs> I actually think... Regina King was like she was really great but yeah. not present enough yeah she was not even the best part yeah. about the film she was not film. the best was performance not. in the yeah. film yeah the dad either yeah. of the dads <laughs> could have been best supporting actor <laughs> yeah. the two leads yeah. were, I, I'd never seen them before yeah. in films and they, they were both incredible yeah do, actually do, do you think uh, this Moonlight winning kind of jinxed it a bit for Beale I, you Street? know I think what really jinxed it is Black Klansman there's the sense that and Black Panther I've, and I Black Panther feel like the Academy were like oh we've got get, get out winning last movies. year it's yeah. like okay everything's about black issues whereas you know which is a stupid way of looking at it because a lot of these movies are just good. shallow yeah. you know either just good or shallow yeah, yeah. And Sha- uh, 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 yeah. I mean, in, I mean, in, yeah. in a year where you had Green Book and Black Panther and Black Klansman, yeah, and if Bill Street but could talk, Black Klansman, like, I think, was like, probably seen by the Academy as the you know the movie by a serious black artist, the owed one, and, yeah, you know, and really. he's taking on yeah. racism, and it's set in the seventies, yeah. So, but this but once film again, is black, so much more Black Klansman, Black Klansman is, is an issue issue based movie, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and it's 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 not trying to. Be a film. Yeah. Black I don't think Black Clansman really is trying to be a film. Yeah. Black Clansman is trying to be a statement, which is yeah. a different thing altogether. Yeah. Bill Street Could Talk is actually a movie. It's not. Well, yeah. If Bill Street Could Talk depicts these issues in a sophisticated way, whereas Black Clansman was cartoonish. Yeah, I think the last like it gets to a point by the end, but until that point, I think it it does. Yeah, kind of labor the point a bit. You're right. But I think it there was about... Some, there were some great moments in yeah. Black Klansman. I just think that the connective tissue as a film, it wasn't good. I would it, rather it be a, have been yeah. a Spike Lee essay. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, yeah it's, it was about giving Spike Lee an Oscar, yeah. a competitive Oscar. It always yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but I think in 10 years' time, people will really look back at If Bill Street Could Talk as being uh, one of the best American films I, of this period. I don't period. know. Like, how many people, really strong. How many people saw it? I, I just Not enough, one. but I think Barry Jenkins is from the leap between this film and Moonlight. Yes. You know, from Moonlight. It's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, he's clearly a director with a huge future ahead of him, I think. He, had, yeah. he clearly is at the height and, of his and powers we, at the moment. And he we, has some very strong projects lined up. I think this film will have yeah. staying power because of the sheer force. And we're going to get more James Baldwin projects because, you know, that's he's, he's back in the, right now. He's back in the <laughs> cultural Which Which is great right because, like, he's an exceptional writer. And, and, and he, as you can see now from his stories, he did write quite well in terms of not just as issue-based, you know, novels. It was just good writing. Mm. Yeah. So, on to the second film of the night. Which didn't feature as much good writing. But, yeah. Vox Lux. <laughs> it's directed by Brady Corbett. It's his second film. His first was Childhood of a Leader. This oh, film... God, what a, how the graceful have fallen. <laughs> uh, interesting. I haven't seen Childhood of a Leader Me yet, neither. but mostly I'd heard mixed things, but I guess for us, the huge fan. I, I did. It was one of my favorites when it played at the SFF that year. Okay. It, it was fascinating. Well, Vox Lux is a bit of a hard one to talk about without spoilers. Yeah. 
Um, so, so we perhaps should, we later just, in the episode, we should we should just have spoilers. Should think, we just say this is a spoiler discussion of Vox Lux I from the get go? If you don't want to hear spoilers, because it's already released, switch off now. Yeah, <laughs> come back yeah. to this episode. You can listen After to our podcast uh, yeah. available where all good podcasts are found. Um, just look up <laughs> Film Fight Club if you, after you watch it. Let's talk about Vox Lux. Yeah. It's about a pop star who survives a mass shooting at a school, which, judging by the way that this film seems to mirror major historical events, since 9-11 is also name-checked, and a shooting later seems to represent the recent wave of mass terrorist shootings, I assume to be this film's version of Columbine. Yes. In this universe. Yeah. It imagines if a pop singer was born out of Columbine. Somebody used that event as inspiration and sincerely expressed emotion, and then that was co-opted and a pop through the star, world of YouTube, etc., exactly. became a phenomenon. But but yeah, is, a pop star was born. In a way, in a way, it's not that far fetched. The premise is not that far fetched because no, the it's right. Totally believable. The, I think the first it's a very twisted premise. Mm. Right. The, this is a film of two halves, which is one of the many things that reminded me of <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's aesthetics in this film. Yes. Yep. The first section which we have just been talking about, I think is fantastic. It's a very stark, austere kind of mood with a real sustained feeling of dread. Mm -hmm. I think it conveys the sincere emotional catharsis in a beautiful way when the girl who's been shot, Celeste, presents the song that she's worked on with her sister and it moves everybody in this church where a service is being presented. But it feels like such a gut punch and so cynical when suddenly it moves into being a business story from there. Yeah. That's one of the cases where the approach of using narrative ellipsis really works in this film. The sudden jump there is so jarring and feels so wrong. And then... But I, 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 I think that was kind of the point, right? Yeah, like, definitely. It, It's supposed to feel wrong. And it's in a way, it's commenting upon... Uh, commercialism in general about how commercializing grief has now become yeah. such yeah. a big thing and, where you know but, tragedy but, porn is but not just grief but commercializing the person to the point where the person's story is neglected by the movie all you have is the product of this pop singer yeah. that's put bef- before you and we're watching her to convey that. being put through you know all these dance routines etc and it, it just feels like is this the right thing for a person who's just gone through a mass shooting to be it's, to be it, doing it was weird because I saw Vox Lux and then the Michael Jackson doco also came out. Ah. And it's just like, I, I don't know where fact and fiction kind of collided and just become into this sort of hyper-real kind of idea about what is celebrity and mm. how trauma and, and how we sort of, I guess, co-opt certain things about celebrity and wanting to be famous and how celebrity fascination can really, really drive people to do insane things. Right. So... This brings us to the next part of the film when Natalie Portman finally enters into it. I didn't think this worked so well. I think it was uh, a case where the narrative ellipsis did not work, where suddenly we jump from the year 2001 through to 2017. 2017. And... The Celeste character has become unrecognizable in several ways. To the point where she has put on a new accent, which was completely jarring to me, actually. It kind of threw me from the film. I just kept sitting there I w- yeah, I was thinking, why does she have this accent? I was thinking, is the point meant to be, oh, she's like a totally different person now? Yeah. In, in which case, that's a little on the nose because uh, yeah. she's, she's, she's already <laughs> completely unrecognizable well, from who she was early in the film. But her daughter is now played by the actress who played, played the younger a, Celeste. Yeah. 
Which is interesting. Well, Rooney Mara was supposed to play this role, which kind of makes sense because this role was probably tailor-made for Rooney Mara and all the roles. The young actress who played, she was the daughter in Killing of a Sacred Deer and she really does look quite similar to Rooney Mara. And like, actually, when I think about it, the kind of very staid and placid expression that Rooney Mara's face would have served this movie very well in terms of, you know, hiding the guys and this kind of mystique element about what is now Celeste thinking as she's now an adult. I think, so um, I think yeah, it would have been interesting. She, she's really held at arm's length in the second half. I think the, the early part has such focus of intent in what it's about. I was able to pretty clearly, I think, describe what yeah. we yeah. all got from it, right? But the second half suddenly... It like, becomes into a Sunset Boulevard kind of like, like pastiche. How, how am I supposed weird. to take this character? Like, are, are we supposed to laugh at how much of a wreck she is? Are we supposed to think it's sad? I think part of the problem is, as I was saying before, she's so unrecognizable. Yeah. Look, in my opinion, I, th- I, I liked how it was so non-judgmental of her and how it was so non-judgmental about pop, right? But in saying that, for the latter half of the movie, it is supposed to be about the kind of implications on this life that she's now lived and how that has affected her ability to have relationships. But because we don't see enough of her interacting with characters and we miss this whole chunk of her life story, that doesn't carry through. As it's well? interesting yeah, because, th- like, the second half has a totally different focus. It does. It becomes into this kind of metadiction around fame and celebrity, whereas the first half of the film was not even about that. It's it, mostly it is about, about fame and celebrity, but, uh, but how other people and us as the audience interact with celebrity. I think it was really more than being fame and celebrity is obviously a huge part of it because it's about the relationship between artist and audience in the, the very final section of the film. But I think more than that, it was about how a person is shaped by trauma that she's become such a wreck of a person while at the same time she's idealized by the masses. But at the same time, people also take pleasure from documenting her trauma. Yeah. More so with the, the kind of paparazzi media industry thing. And it's this endless cycle yeah, of pain. Yeah, it's that's very on. much like a Lindsay Lohan uh, prototype. Yeah, well, it, there's yeah. elements of. Chanel said when we were watching it, Miley Cyrus, Miley Cyrus. Britney Spears. You know, Sia is clearly in there who wrote a lot of the songs. There's, there's a lot of um, Lady even, Gaga. Even Gaga, yep. Yeah, it, she's just kind of a pastiche of a lot of... And Britney Spears. Yep. Yeah, she's a pastiche of a lot of recent yeah. pop stories um, that have captured the world's attention. This film has huge ambitions. It's from the way that we're talking about it, you can see that it's trying yeah. to go for a lot of big themes and I admire that. I just think that it didn't emotionally land. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, yeah. but it but, didn't quite work. Yeah, like it, Ch- Chanel was saying before that for a film about her relationships, the jump was too big. Because suddenly when you introduce a completely different person, obviously it leaves the audience in a position of thinking, how did she become that? But I don't think that question in itself was interesting enough that it's better than depicting the drama of the major moments in her life that turned her into the woman we see now. Because a lot of the things we we see in the second half of the film simply aren't as interesting as what's depicted in the first half. You know, it's you you get the hang of it fairly quickly and then it's mundane and the repetitiveness of, okay, here's this trashed, washed up, self-loathing pop singer and it, it sort of settles into a routine. I don't think the film's boring and I don't think it drags. I just think f- given how much ambition... It's too short. Yeah, yeah. it is too short. I, I could have watched an hour-long version that went more in-depth into the moments that have changed her. Yeah, also, like, uh, Natalie Portman has not given much to do beyond a point. Like, you know, her character no, beats become quite repetitive and she's, like, playing a washed-up pop star kind of thing and she's just hitting the beats and mm-hmm. you're not... 
which is kind of sad because up until she's introduced, the film is really interesting. And usually when you think when Natalie Portman enters the scene, the film is going to go to the next level. But no. But she's actually, it goes to the opposite direction, which is pretty sad because she's pretty good in a very, very limited and badly written character. I think there are some interesting things in the writing. I think... um I think the I love, overall like, character arc is interesting, but I think how Natalie Portman's portion is written is like, right. now you're just going to play to a type. which Yeah, is, I get that. Mm. Um, I think the approach to pop music is is very interesting because we've seen A Star Is Born and we've seen Bohemian Rhapsody and we've we've seen well, the standard this, biopics this, cliches. This, and, this movie could have been named A Star Is Born, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but or star kind of. But I don't know. This film, this film is combusts. actually interesting in how it approaches pop as a really, really weird thing. I, and yeah. I think um, it is bizarre in the way that it approaches the pop star biopic concept. Yeah, but um, like, life, as life I noted story. earlier, one of the movie's big strengths is that it's non-judgmental about pop. That's right. Um, it um, presents pop, it as pop it is, is definitely. I think there is a little bit of a slant towards like pop is a weird cultural artifact and maybe there's something wrong with it, but it doesn't completely trash it. Yeah, it it points out that it's somewhat diseased, at least in its current kind of iteration, but it doesn't sit there and say, get rid of pop, it's bad. The big point of the films, well, this film's reaching for so many big themes. One of them, I think, is why do we need pop music? Like, is it because of all these shootings that are going on in the world? One of the reasons why I thought this should be a spoiler discussion is because I want to ask you guys what you think about the shooting that opens the second half of the film and what we feel the film is trying to do. I I think it's trying to do several things. Firstly, it's a comment around us as the audience and our engagement with pop music in general and what Mm. we seek from pop music. Is it a sort of mild anesthesia from our own problems and which is why we kind of relate to the sort of celebrity grief train or train wreck which is happening, which is why we're like, oh, so they're just like us. I have problems and so do they and kind of feed off that and we feed the beast a bit. But also pop music is interesting in that sense because we co-opt and we try to feel like we have the power. Mm. And it's basically about power in the Giving end. Giving the audience the sensation of power. Yeah. But th- that you control the narrative rather than the actual pop star. They're the brand and you make the brand and you, there is you something, put them up and you make them fall down. Well, there is something interesting in the cycles here. That yeah. People are, are drawn to tragedy. Yeah. Columbine becomes a mass media mm. spectacle. The downfall of this pop star or the downfall of pop stars like Britney Spears is also a kind of mass media tragedy that people get are attracted to. Um, we, we, we like... You know, train wrecks. Yeah, it's exactly. just a thing. Exactly, yeah. and that. The, I mean, reality TV is. This a is big why people watch that. Married at right. First Sight. Yes. Why is that the biggest show at the moment? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> the second half of the film is you know opens with a shooting perpetrated by people inspired by imagery from a music video, which was inspired by imagery from a dream that Celeste had since the first shooting. I think this idea is really interesting, that there's this spirit of trauma in the air and she's breathing it back out while she's trying to create music that uplifts people and that it, it just stays in the air and the violence keeps going but, on but and on it, in circles. It, 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 it's I think all... the movie just doesn't hammer hammer the themes home. It, it's also interesting, like from where does genuine art come from? Mm. Like it, it comes from a genuine lived experience. And for Celeste and how she experienced it in the first instant in the church scene, for example, mm. was a very real and like emotional moment. And th- but when that, that's, everything's just a recreation. Yeah, exactly. It's when when you sort of imitate that, you just co-opt that, trying to make it into a commercial sellable product, it becomes a hollow imitation. So it's mm. interesting. I think yeah. the film seems to be saying um, that it's so hard for anything to be pure in yeah. the way that media controls everything. 
everything now. Yeah, um, for me, when it comes specifically to the shootings in the film, um, I think Chris can elaborate a little bit more on um, how metaphorically useful having this, having the shootings in there were, um, because uh, we actually had a, a small discussion about this on um, just before we started the show. But for me, because I, I have a background in doing research on um, violence in the media, um, and for me... I was not sure whether it was warranted to have a second one shown in such grossness and then repeated again later. I, they showed the exact same image of, of it again say, later. Um, despite um, it, it is obviously an image of violence, but I do admire at least that there was restraint not to go for a gratuitous violence a second time in the film. I agree. That when, I agree. In the, the um, way that violence it it didn't shown. go into the exploitative direction, and thank goodness it didn't. Yeah. But... There was something, you know, for me that was incredibly uncomfortable in terms of um, showing such mass violence kind of um, imagery in such detail to the point where um, Chris and I actually went and watched this film together and the people next to us were closing their yeah, eyes because yeah, yeah. they couldn't look at the screen. Yeah. Um, the, the opening of the film like, is pretty pretty shocking. Yeah, like part of the reason why um, news outlets no longer report the names of the shooters, of school shootings in particular, was because of what we learnt from Columbine was that when you perpetuate the names of these individuals and spend a lot of time focusing on them, that you start to breed other people wanting well, to be copycats. Celeste makes a similar point in the film, yeah. actually, that um, maybe we should just not be paying these people attention, which is funny given that... Yeah, and then that gets twisted badly. It, it's, it's true. It, it's just, again, a, another, another way that this film has a lot to say but doesn't spend enough time saying it. Yeah. It's interesting to see a young director who strongly has the ambition to make a masterpiece, I think, but isn't quite getting there. Look, a part of me thought, and after everything and after over you know overthinking about this for like i don't know how many hours that this film is just stupid i don't think so I, what, like, what what about how, how like do you find if, it if eventually like it's trying to make so many points that it doesn't know what point it's making it's over ambitious yes it's over ambitious and, and eventually i just felt like it could have been a great hbo tv show yeah like you know eventually <laughs> that would be like, other, amazing other, are they trying to just stick everything on the wall and seeing what sticks i i think no, i think ev- there eventually, are clear, i think there are clear ideas that are meant to run throughout it I think the execution is just a little bit too scattered so much in the second half just becomes this kind of you know very cyclical and you just know this is going to be about okay train wreck career and how it's devaluing into this kind of thing where I'm just like I think the movie kind of just lost direction and I was just like I think the it becomes like two sequence. very different movies. I think the final concert sequence had the potential to be extremely moving in the same way that the early the first performance from Celeste is, but I think it because of the weakness of the characterization and the similar dramatic beats that keep coming up in the second half of the film, I think it doesn't work quite so well. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah. This is still Film Fight Club, and we're still talking about Vox Lux, or the movie that has launched a thousand message board well, look, discussions. Look, I was reading a message board, yeah. um, a really great site for film discussion, criterionforum.org, which has... <laughs> Criterion. Yeah, that's right. It actually has... Go and buy Criterion movies, people. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> it's a Criterion fan site, but it always has very in-depth discussions. And Vox Lux, the thread was very interesting because most people there had a similar kind of take on it on its overall quality to us which is like yeah it's okay it's it's a little bit muddled but there but people were writing 
incredibly in-depth <laughs> conversations about it. I think yeah. I think there's so much ambition in this that it's really interesting to dissect. Yeah, it, it's a bit like Mother in that sense. Like Definitely. You know. Actually, I said to Chanel before mm. we started recording this that it reminds me of Aronofsky's films. Yes. Um, especially yeah. like an early one like The Fountain, you know, yes. where it's clearly like this guy is trying to make a masterpiece. Yeah, or, or just He's like, you know, it ideas. it's ideas, 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 and like they're not always and fulfilled. grand ideas about yeah. the things that matter. Exactly. But I, I think this film could have easily been super pretentious. I don't think it was. But it is, yeah, it no, is it wasn't. too self-serious, though. I, I did early on feel, okay, this is very self-serious for what it no, is. The early on, it's fine, but because it's going me. with the kind of pop campiness and it doesn't go with the self-serious Look, I think it it's, I think it's okay to be somewhat self-serious when you're talking about shootings. Yeah, 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 it is about like, very these, serious these issues. Are, and, but, and trauma. But it is know? so like, interesting and bizarre to make a pop, a pop star yes. story. which it is. is focused yep. around shootings and trauma. That's why it's so interesting. That, that, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. why it's such an interesting film. I thought this is actually, even though it's not executed well, this is a beautiful concept for a film about the current state of things. Yep. It's great that somebody is making a film about how bizarre pop is. Yeah. And, you should and really see Charlotte of a Leader because that also is basically about, you know, right-wing Nazism and how politics and like how skewed up that is I'll give it a shot. trauma and stuff yeah. I'll give it a shot um, maybe we can borrow it from film club yeah and maybe you <laughs> too spruik. you can too yeah, dear yeah. listeners <laughs> but yeah um, this film treats the pop industry like it's a, a very strange thing and it also um, I think it depicts the workings behind the scenes in a fair and realistic way we're so used to as I was talking about earlier the cliches we see in films like Bohemian Rhapsody or, oh, God, that's such a bad film. Or um, <laughs> Actually, even yeah. Star is Born. But the, Vox Lux, I would have been okay if this was a Best Picture nominee. Yes. Oh, it was better than most yes. of them. Yeah. The, the way that it shows, um, corp- the way that corporate executives and manufactured pop actually work without making obvious villains of the people who are responsible for it, but still providing them humanity. Um, while, while still overall striking a very dark, cynical yes. tone. Yes. Uh, I think and is is interesting. I As Chanel said, it's the non-judgmental attitude yeah. to pop that make stops the like. It could so easily have been this cheap like wanker director makes yep. a movie about how pop is crap for Philistines, but it it instead is tr- like we exist in a world where this happens. Why and what purpose does it serve? So basically, we're all in agreement that apart from Roma, we would replace all best picture all nominees. Best picture nominees yep, basically. pretty much. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, thanks, Oscars. But <laughs> yeah, but um, um, just like on that point about how non-judgmental it is about pop. Not only is this captured in the character of Celeste, it's captured in the in Jude Law's character oh, in man, the film I, as well. Yeah. Shout out to Jude Law for a fantastic performance. Jude as Law. Well. How was he was not better. nominated? as a supporting actor than Mahershala Ali. And Mahershala Ali hot was take, a secret lead. <laughs> and Mahershala Ali's great. It's just he yeah. wasn't that good in Green Book. Yeah. You think so? Like, did you like Jude Law? I, 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 I love Jude I, Law's I, I asshole like, I routine. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From, like, Richard E. Grant and Jude Law. I mean, yes. we had yes. some yes. really good assholes this year. Yeah. On screen, on screen. Yes. Which is appropriate for... And, and Jude Law, actually, similar to Celeste, doesn't start off as a complete asshole. He actually starts no. off caring for her. Even... even right? what I, I actually thought he, his character had the his, most interesting writing. Yeah, because, and his trajectory mirrors her. Yeah. And I would have loved more exploration I, of I that. agree. Because late in the film, you can he st- still he's addicted to her but he he still seems to care for her genuinely that both of them are just mired in such a kind of cynical world of (laughs) spirals that they're sort of locked together in this self-defeating 
um, at slash self pitying turmoil. Um, his character was what I expect real life people in the music industry are at that higher level are like, as opposed to the the cartoon characters and the the old chestnuts we we seem to get everywhere else. I mean, like with yeah, with people like R. Kelly and like you know, what what oh, background we've just got recently. Mm. I, I guess yeah, it's not that surprising. But yeah, this. Um, but yeah, we're not just talking about everyone is an abuser in the music industry. I think some people are. I was, nice. I was expecting this film to go in that direction. At one yeah, point actually, yeah. When I was, I was relieved to some terrified extent. Terrified. I, I, th- yeah. I think emotionally, I just couldn't take it after like so much. Yeah. In this past couple of weeks, I'd be like, okay, should I? Is music cancelled? Like, is, as, as a thing now? What do I? What do I? <laughs> Maybe Berejiklian is on the right track. <laughs> killing my. One of the. Shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> But one of the major things we haven't really discussed, we've just touched on, um, is I think the film's ultimate final point, which is what is pop music for uh, or the equivalent of pop music, these kinds of mass spectacles. Um, or rather, who is it for? Who, yeah, who is it and why? Yeah. <laughs> why, know? why, why is it? Like, why, is, why, why? Like it, With the, the link between... Celeste and mass shootings is it saying that you know our culture is diseased so mass shootings I'm inspired on this conversation by Satori's great in-depth post on criterionforum.org so shout out to Satori Um, is pop music a cultural atrocity equivalent to mass shootings or is it something we need to distract us from that kind of horror do they feed into each other? You know, I think the film is kind of touching at this big, strange question about where are we today? I, I think uh, as a philosophy dude bro major uh, representative at this point, I, I would definitely say from a nihilistic point of view that uh, we do need from the postmodern condition, you know, trashy reality TV or pop music, things that distract us from the abject reality that life has no meaning. Well, the film is about misery. Yeah. And, but and, then and, with pop and, as the great relief. And, and everyday and, life is miserable. The fact that we spend eight to ten hours of our lives sitting in just a desk, most people do, mm-hmm. yeah. and they want an escape from that shitty existence. And this, what's interesting about Celeste is she has this massive victim complex and she tears at the people around her, but the one redeeming thing about her and apart from that she's a victim of such horrible trauma and her life has taken such a strange trajectory in the second half of the film is that it does seem that her number one motivation is to put on an amazing show for her fans to make them feel better she really does want to make people feel better and and, and, in part of that like a lot of the Stan and Ollie which was like a much more like you know I guess superficial take on you know what is celebrity and stuff the similar thing about a lot of great entertainers feel like the only meaning they get out of their lives is when they're out there on the stage mm. and because they can just definitely true channel a lot of that kind of like yeah, negativity like, into a more positive outcome yeah. for those few seconds. The only time she's not a human train wreck in the second half is yeah. when she gets out on, on stage and performs. Mm-hmm. So I think Corbett is trying to go for this almost like a transcendence that she but becomes also a symbol and who she is stops mattering yeah. anymore that even the people close to her who feel the destructiveness of her persona the most at the end even are they able enjoy to smile yep. yeah. and not let go but, but that's mirroring 
us as the audience who are viewing this spectacle, right? The mm. only time that we can truly forget our miseries is also when we are well, yeah, participating in this spectacle. Well, yeah, the only time that the film Vox Lux gives us respite from the misery is when it gives us a full-on show. And yeah. Yeah. actually, the show Which is, is really well off. done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So maybe yeah. like what Corbett is going for is that, you know, your actual viewing experience is mirroring that of what yeah, yeah, the yeah, star is going through and what the people are supposed to go through when they interact with pop music. Mm. I think so. So that's, that's like so. a very felt and like 4D experience of like you watching the movie is giving you different kind of experience of how you would interact with a pop show. I, I think this guy's really good. I think, I, I haven't seen Childhood of a Lady yet, but I feel like this guy could make a movie sometime in the future that just knocks us all out of the park. But I think I, it, I, I it think just like, didn't work this yeah, time. I, it's just not there yet. I would rather watch movies which have ambition and fail yes. than like, you oh, know, absolutely. playing it safe but just take all the boxes. Like, we were not satisfied walking out of this, but we were, we had a lot to think and talk yeah. about. And I would and watch it again, which is great now. because like I, I don't care about like the plot of this film. Mm. I just want to watch it again and feel like if I can take more out of it in terms of the ideas. Yeah, that's having. how I feel as well. Yeah. Um, so I'd give it another watch, even though it's a yeah. not that satisfying a film in how it ties everything yeah. up. Yeah, props for making a film that is about inviting conversation. Yeah. Yes. Mm. It's much more active and less passive a movie. You don't just consume it. Exactly, It yeah. allows you to actually, you know... So it's the antithesis it's of a pop f- music? <laughs> <laughs> it actually works. It, That's it, an interesting right? point. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a it's wow. a film. We're having epiphanies yeah. like because she yeah. says it's a film for the intellectuals, right? right. For those who enjoy. <laughs> okay. Well, no, but but like you know, I'll close the door on my way. Quite, out. quite, <laughs> quite unquote. You know, like, but like, no, but it's true. There are people who like to engage in in intellectualism a lot, and there are people who want to break from that. Yeah, but in the film, um, Celeste says of pop music in the second half that it's not really about thinking about things. It's yeah. just to make you happy. Like she's she knows her place and yeah. she takes on that. It's almost she's almost like a martyr figure in a way that she's been sacrificed for the everyone's you know need for this kind of spectacle. Mm. Like she's become an but, empty vessel who just projects that out now. But but it, it seems like that's the case for a lot of the great entertainers, like with Robin Williams. You know, and yeah. Apparently, mm. like he used to enjoy the very fact of you know making everyone happy, and you know mm. Peter Sellers. The only time that he actually you know was in any way sane or, you know, not being a horrible person was when he was in character. In fact, he used to give his interviews in character as well. Right. So it seems yeah. to be a big trend in a lot of the great entertainers or artists. Yeah, the time. a lot of the points about this film, though it relates to mass tragedy and mass shootings and trauma, a lot of think points this film is making, I think, apply to pretty much any major artist in the media landscape we exist in today. I, I think also this point was brought up in an interesting way earlier in the film where... Celeste is talking to a heavy metal musician and he makes the point that maybe his music influenced the boy who shut up mm. Celeste's school or maybe, which we get the sense is what he believes in and hopes, this is what's saving people from doing, for, you know, sa- stop per- perpetrating those acts. from perpetrating yep. those acts by giving them an outlet that... Yeah, all the mu- the music. He, sorry, he's the only other major musician or music yeah. style we see in the film, and and he's making. The- Sadly, he's wrong though, just from right. my research background. <laughs> right. But he's he's making the the same kind of point that, like maybe we're here for a mission to try and save people. Yeah, or, or maybe artists are delusional and they don't really matter as much. Yeah, you know that's the other point. But artists think they matter, and this idea that they feel like they are like channeling some great art, but in the end they're not yeah, just they're just entertainers. Yeah, 
which is interesting. Like it, it is, is two sides of the same coin, right? It's the artists who think that. What? But do we actually give artists that much credit in our lives? Something that's so interesting about this is how she takes the pop music so seriously. Like it would be easy to make this kind of. I haven't seen that at Eternity's Gate, but I'm guessing it. You know, it'd be, it's easy to make that kind of story about Van Gogh. But it's int- It's something more thought provoking to make that about someone who's making intentionally shallow and glitzy pop music. But but even then, I mean, is, is that just a kind of self-service self service level of, you know, narcissism that artists just Do we have, have to believe we matter? Yeah. And I think a lot of artists just genuinely do believe that, that they are providing some kind of service which is beyond commerce and entertainment and, you know, commercialism. Well, we can go back to your nihilism that maybe that we people need to deceive themselves in that way because they need to I mean, we're all going to be dead pretty soon, so I guess, you know, what's the point? <laughs> I mean, sorry, it's the art that survives, you know, beyond our lifetime. So, and on know, that note, behind. thank you, yeah. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, pretty much on that note. Thank you, dear listeners. We'll see you next week where we'll talk about something. I don't know. We'll with, figure it with, out. With, 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 less, with less misery and more hope. Yeah. Maybe. In other we'll words. let you know when we do. Yeah. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. So teach me.